Bible time. Romans chapter 12, if you have your, your Bibles or your phones, your pads, whatever you, whatever you do it, let's open up to Romans chapter 12. And as you're getting there, let me just ask a quick little question. Uh, is anybody, is anybody going to make a decision about anything this week? Uh, you think about maybe buying a car or going to school or asking someone out on a date, and you're wondering, hey, is this God's will for my life? I mean, every decision is a decision that can fall into the category of God's will, God's desire, because he has a plan for every step of our lives. And, and, and let me ask you another question. If if I asked you just, hey, do you want to know what God's will is regarding all the decisions? I'm, I'm almost positive you would say yes. Of course I want to know what God's will is. And, and then if I changed the question and, and I said, hey, do you want to do God's will? And you started thinking about it. You might hedge your answer. I know I hedge my answer. Because when it comes to doing the will of God, I know that, that that's when God begins to mess with my agenda, my plans, and my desires. Uh, friends, we're all control freaks to some level or another, right? None of us love to give up control. I, I, read, a, I read a quote, it, it's an older quote uh, from Chuck Swindoll in one of his books. It says this, we love the familiar, we love the comfortable, we love something we can control, something we can get our arms around. Yet the closer we walk with the Lord, the less control we have over our own lives and the more we must abandon to him. All right, so everybody just go through a little exercise with me. Take your hands and ball them into a fist, okay? And raise your fists in the air, and now open your hands wide. God, we come to you today as we are about to read your amazing word, your powerful word, your word says that it is sharper than any double-edged sword. Your word will go places in our lives that only your word can go. So God, we want to let you know that we are open to your word as your word helps to reveal your will and I ask this in the name of Jesus, amen. All right, so Romans chapter 12, just verses one and two today, and, and they say this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, perfect, and pleasing will. Okay, so quickly, we're going to look at the passage of Scripture. And, and the passage of Scripture gives us some prerequisites for knowing what God's perfect will is. And then we're going to talk about 
the filter that God gives us so that we can confirm the decisions that we're about to make. And then we're going to wrap up by, by discovering that even when we even when we mess up, even when we don't do what we should do, God works all things together for good to those who are his children. All right, so let's just, let's just unpack the passage real quick. And we see three different prerequisites here for knowing God's perfect will. The first one is sacrifice. Uh, look again at verse 1. Uh, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Okay, so here in the passage, Paul is is taking us back to the, the sacrificial image that began in the Old Testament, okay? Back, back in, in Old Testament times, when people came to worship God, they brought a sacrificial sin offering, a, 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 a bull or a, or a lamb or a pigeon. And, and the reason they brought that, that sin offering is because our sin had to be atoned for for us to be able to come into the presence of a holy God. And so every time someone offered that sacrifice, what took place was something pretty cool. Uh, God, God looked at that and they said, I'm going to accept that as a sin offering because it leads us to the future work that my son Jesus Christ would do. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm happy that I didn't have to come to church this morning with a pigeon <laughs> or a lamb. And the reason I didn't have to come to church and you didn't have to come to church with a pigeon or a lamb is because God tells us in 1 Corinthians 5, 7 that Jesus, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. Jesus, the perfect son of God, the one who lived without sin, was sacrificed so all of our sins could be paid for, okay? So, so we don't come uh, offering sacrifice for sin. So what's the sacrifice that God is talking about here? Well, well, God's talking about the sacrifice of obedience, the, the sacrifice of behavior. Friends, if we're gonna live dynamic lives, it's going to require that you and I sacrifice our agendas, our actions, our activities to, to his will. The way, the way we walk, the way we talk, the way we give, the way we, we live, that is the offering of sacrifice that God has in mind uh, for each other. And, and, and I don't know about you, Guys, but we, sometimes I find this to be a challenge in my life. I don't always want to do what God would have me to do. That, that, that's not my first uh, reaction all the time. Now, you might do that all the time, and if you do, great. But, but Stu McWilliams struggles with that. 
you know, when, when someone when someone acts wrong or acts unjustly towards me, my first reaction, my desire is I don't get mad, I get even, right? God says, I want you to act in mercy and grace and forgiveness towards that person. That's the sacrificial answer. Oh, when your wife is, or your husband is, or your friend is kind or unkind towards you, do you return to unkindness or do you do unto them as you would have them do unto you? You see, that's the sacrificial response. That's living as, as sacri- sacrificially. Guys, we live, in a, we live in a selfish world. By nature, I know I am selfish. But God calls us to be generous, to not be like the world around us, and to not be like our natural instinct tells us. Guys, that's the sacrifice. That's offering our bodies as a living sacrifice, which, by the way, that is pure, true worship according to God's word. Okay, so the first point is sacrifice. The second point is nonconformity. Nonconformity. Verse 2 starts off with this statement. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Now, I think that this is challenging. And, and, and one of the reasons why I believe it's challenging is because so much of the world, of our lives, of our society, of our culture, of everything, it is, is a neutral. It's neither good or bad. It just is. And, and, and most of what we deal with all the, it, regularly in our lives, it, it's not sin. It, it's not evil. It just it just is. So, so when God says don't conform to the world, what's he talking about? Well, well, Paul, or, or, or I'm sorry, John in his epistle pointed or, or spoke it in a different way. In, in John 2, uh, 15, it says this, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, The lust of the eyes, the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Okay, so there are three ways that the the word world is used in the Bible. Sometimes world refers to, to good old blue and green planet Earth, right? Sometimes world refers to all of the people that God desperately loves, right? John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, right? I mean, that's sometimes the reference. And then other times, like in 1 John and in Romans, is talking about the system, the desires, the actions, the motivations of the enemy that is absolutely contrary to God's will. And that, that is the world that we must not conform to as believers in Jesus Christ. 
All right, so a couple examples, all right? So, so the world says, the world says today, man, you can have sex with whoever you want, whenever you want, as long as everyone's good with it, it's good, it's right. And God says, no, I have a different, I have a better plan. It's one man, one woman for a lifetime. Why? Because God's a party pooper. No, because God, God understands that this is the best system. This, this is the system that will create blessings in, in your life and in your family and society. This is, this is what's best. But, but the world says this, God says that, we can't conform to the this. You know, I, I, in, you know, the 52 years I've been alive, I think we live at a time in culture that is most, um, most embracing to the attitude that you have to look out for number one. You're number one. If you don't look out for you, if I don't look out for me, no one will. I mean, that is, that is the attitude of the world. But God says, you're to have a totally different attitude. Your attitude is to be that of Christ. In, in, in uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, it says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. I mean, think about that, guys. Jesus is chilling as God in heaven. I don't know what that's like, but I'm guessing it's a pretty good deal. And Jesus says, I'm not going to do what's best for me. I'm going to do what's best for them. And I'm going to go set aside my deity and become a man so that we can have relationship for all of eternity. Wow. And God says that same attitude of Christ it's to be our attitude. So the world says, look out for you. You're number one. The word says, God's number one. You live like him and he'll bless you. What are you going to choose? To which set of standards are you going to conform? All right, and finally, we, we need to have right thinking. Right thinking is extremely important. Uh, verse 2 said, do not conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Uh, I, 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 would say, I would say this key truth is right thinking is the catalyst for right living. Right living is doing the perfect will of God. All right. We need to think and talk about and constantly be reminding ourselves about behavior. But behavior begins in the brain. Let me say that again. 
Behavior begins in the brain. Why don't you say that with me? Behavior begins in the brain. The brain is the key to our behavior. Right thinking leads to right behavior. Wrong thinking leads to wrong behavior. No thinking just ends up bad, right? <laughs> right? I mean, I, I, can't you think of something pretty quick when your mind just disengaged? And on the other, and on the other side of that, you, you say, man, what was I thinking? And the, re, the reality was we weren't thinking. Uh, you know, Charlie talked about when we moved here. And when we moved to Colorado um, uh, almost 20 years ago now, uh, we had rented a little apartment in the Springs and we had, uh, uh, you know, a little over a year old daughter. And we, so we rented this two bedroom apartment. And then right after we, right as we were about to move, we found out number two was on the way. We couldn't get out of our lease. It was a really, really tiny little small place. And, and, and my wife is big, ready to pop pregnant. And her mom and dad are coming. And, and for some reason, they don't tell her I said this. For some reason, they can't get a hotel room. They got to stay in our little apartment. And so, so we have to go buy a sofa sleeper bed, right? And so, so we go to Montgomery Wards. That's right, Montgomery Wards. Do any of you even remember Montgomery Wards? We go to, we go to Monkey Wards, and, and we walk into the furniture showroom at, at Monkey Wards, and right there, the very first thing that you see is this huge leather sectional sofa, the greatest sectional sofa that has ever been made. Now, I'm living in a 900-square-foot apartment, and this thing looks like it won't fit in the, in the worship center here, right? All right, so, I, but, but I sit down in that thing, and I never leave. I mean, I never leave because the sales lady comes up to me and she said, well, you know, you can recline that seat that you're in. And I pushed back on it and I'm reclining it. And she said, open that compartment in the armrest. I opened the compartment and there's a built-in TV remote. But it's not a TV remote. It's the massager remote for the recliner. And there's two of these, one at each end. And I sit there and I said, yes, God, this is your perfect will for Stu McWilliams. Thank you for leading me to your perfect will. And here's my pregnant, ready-to-pop wife standing there. She doesn't sit down because she can't sit down because then she'd have to get up. You understand that deal, right? And, and, and she said, are you sure that this will fit in our living room? And I said, of course it'll fit. I've measured. I'm looking at you know, the little card that has the dimensions. Ah, no problem. I mean, literally, I write the check from the recliner. And I said, can, can you just deliver this tonight? And they said, no, nah, it's going to be a couple days or whatever. And so I'm there, and I'm so excited about God's will coming into my home. 
And, and, and so we live in a second floor apartment and, and, the, and the guys who deliver the thing, they walk up the stairs and they say, are you sure this thing is going to fit in here? Oh yeah, it's going to fit. I measured it. I know it's going to be good. And so they bring in the recliner first and they set it up against the wall. And I go ahead and plug it in, you know, before anything else. And I'm sitting there and they bring up the next piece, the sofa sectional. And again, the guy said, are you sure this is going to fit? And I said, oh, yeah, yeah, it's going to fit. And they set it down. And, and then they bring up the next section, which is just the curve, without the other section on it and the chair. And it goes past the end of the living room, right? I mean, it, and I begin to cry. God, this isn't your will for my life, right? And so they hauled it out, and I went back to Monkey Wars, and I bought a, a more reasonable section or, or sofa with, a, with just a, a sleeper unit in it. And, you know, and, and when our minds disengage, a lot of times there are consequences for those decisions. In, in this case, for me, it was called a restocking charge, right? <laughs> but, but the good news is good behavior also begins in the brain. It's not just bad things that start in the brain. It's good things that start in the brain as well. You know, John Milton said this, the mind in its own play, it is its own place. And in itself can make a heaven a hell or a hell of heaven. You know, you know Henry Ford talked a lot about positive thinking and right thinking. He said the human mind is the channel through which Things to be are coming into the realm of things that are. Winston Churchill said, the empires of the future are the empires of the mind. The mind is the key influencers. And now, let me just say something here real quick. I just want you to know, I want you to make God's perfect will decisions about everything you're thinking about right now about every situation. But we have to understand that just because we make a perfect will decision, it doesn't mean that everything goes perfectly. You might be thinking about buying a car right now. And, and, and so you're, I mean, you got an older car. I mean, it is older. It's legitimately an older car and a newer car would be better. And, and so you're sitting there and you're down at the dealership and, and, and they give you the deal and you've ridden it. And it, this is definitely nice. But, but they give you the payment, and you're sitting there, and on the payment, you see the payment, you say, man, do I really want to do this for five or six years? Do I want to lease this and not have anything? And you calculate, and you pray, and you say, I don't have a piece about it, so I'm not going to do it. So you just walk out. You just get up and leave. And then, and then 45 days later, the water pump on your 162,000-mile Camry goes out, and you say to God, God, I guess I didn't make the right will decision. No. Water pumps go out on Camrys that have 162,000 miles on them. You may have made the exact perfect will decision and something didn't go perfect. Guys, did Jesus Christ ever make a bad decision? Did, did he ever do anything wrong? And did everything go smoothly in his life? Just because we make the perfect will decision 
doesn't mean that everything is always perfect. Okay, I have another key truth here, and we're going to transition into the how we make decisions part of the message, all right? And the key truth is this. The certainty of a decision, a.k.a. God's perfect will, is confirmed when agreement exists among the Scripture, the Spirit, and the saints. So, so you're, you're thinking about doing whatever, going uh, right at the intersection or left. Or you, you, you've, got, you've got a big decision to make in your life. And, and, and God says, if, if you make those decisions and the Bible, the Holy Spirit's leading in your life, and the church all affirm that that is, in fact, a good decision, then you're good to go. Then you're good to go. You you process through those filters to come to the best decision. All right? So let's talk about the Scripture for just a second. I brought a little prop with me. Hey, by the way, is there any road construction happening in the city of Pueblo? Man, you can't go two miles in Colorado Springs without seeing one of these bad boys, right? I am sick and tired of them, okay? But there's an illustrative point here because God's word contains both precepts and principles. Contains precepts, commandments, directives, clear yes and no's, and principles. Yeah, so uh, a few weeks ago, we had our men's retreat, and we're down there in uh, Kacharis, and I'm going down on one of the little roads down there, and they're in the construction, and they're down to one lane, right? And, 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 and it's a, you know, there's nobody, there's hardly anybody on this road, and I pull up to, the, to, the one, to, my, to one line of the thing, and I'm about, I guess I'm about, you know, a quarter of a mile away, and the guy goes like this. And I'm starting to look at it. And so the other guy at the other end, he did what? He went like this. And I'm sitting there, and I'm looking at the stop sign, and I can see the taillights of the cars in front of me. I can see a long way. I don't even see any other cars coming. I'm thinking, I've got a charger. I can catch the last car. It's all going to be good. (laughs) Guys, this is a principle. You don't do that. Because what's going to happen on the other end? After that last car goes by, the guy's going to go like this, and and you're going to have an accident. Okay? So an example of a precept in in the word of God is thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not bear false witness, right? That's that's a precept. An example of a principle might be uh, Philippians uh, 4. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, through prayer and supplication, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. So the, the, the precept was easy, right? The principle is just something you have to apply, you have to work on. It's a daily activity. You know, it's, it's, just, it's not black and white. 
but it's still important. Uh, the, the reason the, there's, there's a slow sign at the other end of the one lane is because those people know that Stu McWilliams is thinking about running it. And so you better go slow just in case. Stu McWilliams doesn't pay attention. Guys, that's the scripture. God gives us that powerful tool. And besides the scripture, there's the Holy Spirit. Guys, God's Holy Spirit is truly amazing. Uh, And God's Holy Spirit filters our prayers so that the only prayer that gets to the throne is the right prayer. Uh, 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 Romans chapter chapter 5 says, In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches the hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. So this is, this is an example of that. You know, last Wednesday, we had a pretty big lotto winner, like $191 million. And so I knew it got up there. I saw it on the evening news. And so I went to bed that night and I'm praying, dear God, I know that your perfect will is for me to win the $191 million. God, there will not be a better steward of your money. I will, I will magnify the amazing name of Jesus. And so in the name of Jesus, I claim winning the lottery. And, and God, since you know I don't play the lottery because it's, uh, it's something for the mathematically challenged people of the world, would you have someone deliver the lottery ticket to me tomorrow morning at my office? Thank you, Jesus. And you know what the father heard? God, Stuart McWilliams is praying down there to learn to be content with all the great things that you have given him. You can't mess it up. And then there's the saints, the church family. Guys, I love our group. I'm in a group. Uh, and I love our group, our life group at church, and, and, and because we help each other do life. All right, so quickly. What happens when we mess up? What happens when we mess up? God works all things together for good to those who love God and to those who who have been called according to his purpose. A couple weeks ago, I went and had coffee with this guy, and he'd been coming to church for several years, but I'd never heard his story. And we met, I said, well, let's get coffee. And he told me, and he began to told me, tell me the most amazing story of restoration that I have ever personally heard, ever, 52 years. I mean, he had the life. He grew up in an abusive, alcoholic father home. He hit the streets as a young teenager, took to drinking in a life of crime, in and out of prison. It, it was bad, horrible bad. As an older adult, he decided his life wasn't worth living, and he took a hacksaw and ran it across his wrist. Laying there on the ground, God, the Spirit, came to him and said, I'm not done with you. I love you. And someone came to the house unexpectedly and called 911. 
lying there in the psych ward of the hospital, he came to know Jesus Christ. Then came the saints. So he gets out of the hospital and, and he has to connect with believers. And he starts coming to Fellowship of the Rockies and he gets so connected and involved. And nobody has any idea about any of his past. He is just the guy, right? And then about a year and a half ago, we did a challenge at church to read the scripture. And he embraced that challenge and he took it to a whole new level. Because every morning he wakes up at 4.30. And from 4.30 to 6, every morning he reads his Bible. No devotional, no other thoughts, just his Bible for an hour and a half. And he began to tell me of how God has changed everything about his life. And he has hope. He's been blessed and on and on and on. Guys, God will work it out. He will work it out. Let me ask you to bow your heads for just a moment.